Hey y'all, you're listening to In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile. I'm a spun counter guy. Thanks for stopping by. Sometime in the early 90s, I remember seeing a video for a song called Simple Man by an Australian group called the Newsboys. In the video was this old man briefly saying a few words with the timbre of a lot of country preachers I had grown up with. But this feller was different. I'm not detecting some of the arrogance or coldness that often manifested itself in many ministers of that ilk. But also the video showed him painting a picture which looked familiar to me. When I learned more about this man, the Reverend Howard Finster, come to find out his images were everywhere, notably on the album covers of bands like Adam Again, R.E.M., and Talking Heads. The preacher always including scripture verses on his words no matter the faith or lack thereof of his client. When I found out that Mr. Finster lived and had built a kind of a junkyard garden just a few hours from where I lived at the time, I made several treks to visit the man. Beyond being an artist and minister, Howard Finster was unique for telling people about the visions that God seemed to grant only to him. In my multiple visits to Paradise Gardens, as it was called, I recorded the man talking for around three hours. These recordings were made on a format that is now very much obsolete. And for around 25 years, they just sat untouched in a cigar box. That is until just a few weeks ago, a previous in the corner back by the woodpile guest, Randy Layton, lent his old-timey DAT player to another previous guest, Todd Zeller, who took the time to transfer their contents. So this episode is the first boiled down segment of what we found. The recording captures a lot of the clatter in the background, mostly folks coming and going, but if you can block that out, there's a lot worth tuning into, I think, including Mr. Finster talking about Japan, sex and relationships, his friendship with fellow artist Keith Haring, and he starts off by talking about another preacher whose name I didn't catch, in which he had some theological differences with. earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Don't burned up, don't that mean it has to be consumed? Mm-hmm. At UP? Yeah. Burned up? Yeah. Well, he don't think this world, this earth will ever burn. He don't think, he thinks this earth has went through procedures, different formations and all, even before the fluid. And it will be that this time. You don't believe it. But on the other hand, when I cut him off and turn over and read the Bible that said, this earth and, and uh, the things that are therein shall, does that mean it will? Shall be burned up. And I went to another place and read, and it says, uh, the earth and the works therein shall pass away, and there shall be no place found for them. And I wonder how they can preach that. They're educated. And uh, to know what he knows, I'd probably have to go to college six, seven years mm-hmm. to know, see it like he said it. And I wonder sometimes why 
is it necessary to take something that plain and make it complicated? Why would a fellow make something complicated if it's so plain? Says the earth and the and the things therein, the earth and the works therein. What is the works then? These big helicopters, these big bums, planes, and all that stuff. He said that it'll be destroyed. And he don't believe that there'll be nobody raised from no grave. He says ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and that's what it is. He says there's no such thing as nobody coming out of graves where there's dust. But that's what they are. They come from dust, they go back to dust. Mm -hmm. But I happen to have a tape player on my bed and I play the Bible, both Old and New Testament. And I play it over and over, hours and hours. I turn my tape player over and uh, it goes on and tells you, you know, about these things will burn up and these things will happen. And the other day I got two a card on both sides it says in the time, something like this, and the time shall come, and now is, when the dead shall cry out and shall come forth. Oh, great. That's simple. That in the time cometh, I believe Jesus said, the time cometh, and now is, when the dead in Christ shall hear his voice and shall come out of the grave, and the grave and come out of the grave. G-R-A-V-E. Such as that kind of messes me up a little bit. Now, which way you think it is? You think that be people come out of that grave, or do you think that uh, when you die, you just instantly go on right then with God, and that's the resurrection? Doesn't the Bible say that uh, Jesus is going to come back to earth at some point? Yeah, let me read that to you. It's right here. This is Ephesians okay. four fourteen. And he claims that this where it says air means air like you breathe, and I feel like it's air like the atmosphere. And uh, he talks like that, uh, he just sees these things different. Let me read it to you. Okay. 18th verse of Second Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. He said, uh, We which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are in the graves, I believe it says, shall not prevent them which are asleep. Ain't that the ones in the grave? I would think so. Yeah, he said, we will be, if we're here when Jesus comes, this is what's going to happen to us. As far as the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. You hearing that? Mm -hmm. What does that mean, the dead in Christ shall rise first? Well, who, who is alive in Christ? Yeah, we that are alive uh, will be caught up with him and those that are asleep but I thought would be the ones that's in the grave. So us that are alive first and it says uh, Christ shall rise first then we which are alive and remain that's like 
right. if Jesus was coming right now, we're alive here. The dead in Christ rise first. And then we which are alive here, it tells what's going to happen to us. See, like this is happening right now. It said, They shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord in the air. See, like right now, for end of time was coming, we look out here and see the dead from this grave up here coming out of that grave. They read it. And we're alive and remain at Christ's coming. Uh, we'll not prevent them from the grave. And it says that uh, we'll be caught up in the clouds with them and with the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. It seems to me like right there that him and his people are going to go right on off from this world to heaven. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about these things. And, and it says, Comfort ye one another with these sayings. Comfort ye one another. That's that message. That tells you about the resurrection. It tells you about the dead in Christ. It tells you about what's happening there. And That's just a wonderful verse, sir. That's taking that verse and putting it on the back of that thing. Well, that people that maybe not even have a Bible, uh-huh. they can turn that over and look at it and say, oh, we, we own this. And it tells a Bible verse on here. And they probably read it. And they'll read it, and maybe they won't read it no more for six months or a year. And they'll think of it and go in there and get it and show it to somebody, just to read it to them, see what it says. So I, I had a feeling that I ought to write the Word of God right. to where people could find it because they're going to try to stop people from preaching the Word of God. I believe before the end of time, Antichrist is going to come and you're going to have to have a certain number or if you don't worship Antichrist, you, you'll be killed. You can't buy nothing or sell nothing. You and your family will just starve to death can't buy anything and that's because you haven't got the mark of the beast and if you take the mark of the beast that's the antichrist and some people are looking for him to come and I want to tell you he's already here mm-hmm. according to the Bible the Bible said he that believeth not that Jesus has risen from the dead is an antichrist and he's here now and they said Jesus spoke of that he was here when Jesus was here the Antichrist. That's the one that this preacher says if you worship him, that's the only son again the Holy Ghost they are is worshiping the Antichrist. That's what he told. Mm-hmm. And you see, I, I take all I can get from him and make out of it the best I can. And all these other people and these people that talks about uh, like where I'm going tonight, some of them would talk about speaking in tongues and things like that without an interpreter and it says not to. I have to study about them whether to do like them or do like what I feel like this other part says. Mm-hmm. And I guess that may be where it talks about work out your own salvation. Look at these things and see for yourself. And he says in the last days they'll say, here is Christ. No, here is Christ. And down here he is in the guest chamber. He says, go ye not after them. 
because they'll be saying he's here, he's there. Maybe the Church of Christ saying he's with us. We're the only ones. The Church of God, he's with us. Baptist, we, he's with us. He says they'll say here is Christ and there is Christ. Go ye not after them. Where are you going to then? Go back to the Bible. And that's what I'm doing, friend, right now, is studying that Bible and trying to stay with it. Maybe he's part of the legend. Maybe he's part of the news. Maybe he's a man from legend. The Coca-Cola brought me a bottle 13 foot tall, made in three sections. Mm -hmm. And I painted that thing, and the first year it stayed out in the garden, it faded, and it cost so much to redo that and everything, I just couldn't keep it up. And I sold that bottle to a friend of mine in Delonga, Georgia. That's that little gold mine town, right. where you pan gold. You pan. He come to see me yesterday evening and brought me and my wife for supper. Hmm. And he loves us, and he's just a friend we met, him and his wife. She's a school teacher, and they live in a mansion he made that wedding band for me out of Georgia Gold. And he made my wife one. He brought his old Cadillac down here, the square top, the oldest one I ever seen, and took me and my wife out in it for dinner. He's just a wonderful man. And he looked at that bottle one day and I told him, I said, man, I, I ain't able to keep that bottle up. And I made that big shed out there, big shed, tile shed. Uh -huh. I made that thinking that would take care of it. And I put it in there. And that 13 foot tall, and it still started, just faded out and began to melt like it built. And uh, he said, Howard, I can fix that bottle. Well, I said, Mister, give me $10,000 for it and take it and fix it. And he did. Mm -hmm. He took that bottle and I think he got sorry of it before he got through. Because he must have worked a year on that bottle. And how many times, I don't know, he come back here to get me to help him correct the writing that was on that bottle. I had uh, this great Methodist historical preacher. I had him on that bottle. What was his name? I had all different kinds of different presidents and things, pictures. I had the man that invented Coca-Cola. I had him on there. You talking about John Wesley? Yeah, John Wesley was a Methodist preacher. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he is a what I call a holy man. You know, John Wesley's school down here in, in Alabama, they had a, me down there for a show down there with the students. And when I went out, I put on a slideshow and talked to the students at these universities. And I was going to universities all across the state. And I went to John Wesley University down here in, right down in Alabama, below Atlanta there. I can't remember the name of it. It was a pretty big university. And there's big old trees out there that look like 100 feet high. And John Wesley's monument was sitting over here in the park at another place. And I looked at it and I asked them to make a picture of me standing by his monument. It's a pretty big monument. It's a big old cross or something. And it's big and he was, I believe he was on it right there. Anyhow, they made that picture of me standing by John Wesley's statue or monument. And uh, when they 
took that picture out of the camera as an instamatic, the first thing I done when I looked at it, I seen that something had changed in that picture while I was taking it. And what was it changed? Them trees there looked like a hundred feet high, and it looked like 50 foot to the first limb on them. And on that picture, them limbs come right on down to where his statue was in that picture. And just as soon as I seen it, I told him, I said, I want you to look up there at them limbs, how far it is up there where them limbs is. I want you now to look at this picture and see where they are right here. And that was just like a miracle from God to me because it was reality and it was the truth. And they knew it. They seen it. And I don't know whether they ever kept that picture and told that to other people or not, but they should have. And that meant something to me, like Howard John Wesley is one of the early saints. He's, he's one of the, the men that really followed God. That's one. And then in that garden down there, that little house that's up on cross ties, you know, it's got them mirror walls on it. Well, uh, the fella that gave me that Cadillac up there, he was a director at a big university in North Carolina. He had me for a show there or two in that university. He gave me that Cadillac. He was in the garden one day down there taking pictures, and he took a picture of that little mirror house. It had a little porch on it, then you could go up on the porch. When he took that picture there, I took it out of the camera, I looked at it and I seen something above that building, just in the air. And I told him, I called his mind to it, I said, so, Sir, I said, there's something above that building up there, and there's nothing holding it up there. I said, I see it right here in this picture, I want you to look at it. And he looked at that picture and he seen it. And there's something in that picture that was up above that building that was not touching that building. I said, uh, ne another time, that I've seen a miracle in the camera. What do you picture. think it was? Well, he never did tell me what it was. He, he, he walked around that place and looked everywhere he could possibly look to see what done that. And he never did come up with no answer or no kind or even tell me nothing about what it was. But it was an object up there, but something like the size of a crow. It was just sta stationary up there. Nothing under it to hold. And I'm going to tell you one more before you get to begin to think I'm a liar. But I've done a lot of flying, you know, especially in New York, Miami. I flew that same route to Miami where that plane went down that Everglade. And I remember them saying 80 miles before we got there. We're now in the landing procedures. And they started their landing 80 miles before they got there. And we went right over that same place into Miami. And I was going to Miami to put on a big slideshow at the Miami University, and I did. And uh, a fellow at the University of Georgia had given me two shows down there, and he got that appointment for me. And uh, we made about six to 700 miles an hour down there. Let's see, now I'm trying to get it over to y'all, a flight I was making from New York. I uh, coming from New York into Atlanta, and sometimes it was cloudy and you couldn't see nothing. And I just watched the clouds till you get down there, wondering how in the God's world they're going to hit any kind of landing place or anything. 
and I'm coming right down to it and you finally get to looking and you see clouds, just streams of clouds going down through them. It's awful. Beautiful sights that you've never ever seen in your life. But uh, going up to New York, there was a lady sitting by me and I was taking pictures right out that little window and it's small. And uh, you couldn't look through the camera, you just had to hold it up the top of that window like that. And I held it up like that. And that window and that picture, when it come out, it looked like a ladder. It looked like a ladder come all the way from Earth. And you come up about 15,000 feet from the ground out of a town and come up through that cloud to where the plane was. And you looked out that plane and seen the wing out there. And then you looked up and you see that same ladder went right on up above the plane and window on out of sight. You couldn't see it no more. And uh, it's, it sort of appeared to me like the ladder, Jacob's ladder from earth to heaven. Because that's where it come from, from the ground down there where you can see the houses and you could see 15,000 feet on up to where the clouds was. And it got to where the cloud was, it come right on up through them to our window, where I took it. And then we looked up, it went on past our window, plumb on up outside above our window, that same ladder. And her husband was a, he was a scientist or something, I forget what you call him. He analyzed things like that. And she bagged me out of that picture to take with her because her husband studied things like that. So uh, she got that picture and I never really hear any more from her. But I'm telling you that the thing really reached from the earth and right on up to my window where I took it and right on above it and right on that. I tell you, as old as I am, I'm 81. And I'm losing track of all that 41 years I pastored and all them wonderful revivals I had at Fort Payne, Gadsden and all of that. It's gradually wearing off of my mind. But there's one thing just as uh, bright and fresh on my mind now as it was the night it happened when I was 13 years old and from 13 years to 81 years is a pretty good while. And that's one thing that's never changed a particle is how I felt that night I got saved. And uh, I've seen the time when I'd give anything if I could just feel that away one more time. And it may be that when I get to heaven that I'll feel it one more time. But that night I got saved, got the Holy Ghost and was saved. I remember walking out that old schoolhouse door and I looked up into the sky and I seen the stars and the sky that I've been looking at all my life as a little baby. And they never had looked that beautiful to me before. They was absolutely all different beautiful. It something, meant something different. And that night, I had the most wonderful night's sleep that I can ever remember. I don't even remember nothing that night. I slept so sound. 
And I believe right there that night I was born of the Holy Ghost. Like when Jesus was here in person. And John, you know, John was out there one day and he was burning incense and he come out here at this certain place and he seen an angel standing there. And his master was frightened. If you ever see a real angel, you're going to sort of be frightened. <laughs> I've seen angels. That's what I call angels. It's women, most all of them was women, but really an angel is not a woman or a man. Mm -hmm. An angel is an angel. And Jesus told us that. And he said there'd be no such thing as marrying and giving in marriage in heaven. He said, y'all do area. Not understanding. He said, they're not male and female up there. They're angels. And when you're going to heaven, don't think about having a wife or nothing like that. They're going to all be angels. And it'll be a different life than this life is. It'll be perfect. When you saw the angels, did they have wings? Well, now that's another thing I've studied about all my life. My sister come to me as an angel. She was about 14 when she died. And they didn't told, tell me that she was dead. I didn't know it. But I was just a kid. And uh, I was three years old. And uh, I come up to the house and I wanted to know where my mother was that morning. My brother and sisters, there was 13 of our family. We had a big family of kids. And I was next up next to the third back from my baby. And I asked them where Mama was, and they said she was the Mater Patch. Well, she went to the Mater Patch above the road, and I went down to the Mater Patch below the road hunting her, and I missed her. And when I got down there, I started up and down my daddy's old mill road when I ran on Mater Patch. And I was looking and hollering for my mother, Mama, Mama. And while I was looking for my mother on around on the north end of that Mater Patch, I seen my sister coming down out of the northwest. She was coming down out of heaven. And she was walking on these steps. And there's three steps come before her as she used them. That on plumb down to where I was at. And three steps went away from her. And she was walking on a patch of steps, six steps. Three coming before, three vanishing behind her as she used them. And you can imagine that, right on down to about 12, about four or five foot above that old mill road that was growed up in ragweeds. About right up above it, about three foot or four foot above that mill road. She changed her and she come down like a B-type and went right back up that same way. And when I seen her going back up, then I thought it was her and I wanted to be for sure and I turned around and looked at her, and when I looked at her, she was about as high as the house roof on this house out here, about 14 feet high. And I looked and seen her, and, and seen who she was, and I called her name. I said, Abby, Abby. I quit call, calling my mother's name. I wasn't even studying about Abby. I was studying about my mother, crying for my mother, and Abby come on the scene. Then I quit crying for my mother, started crying for her. And when she heard me, she looked around over this right shoulder and uh, down at me. And when she did, this white gown just pulled around from the toes of her shoe and just pulled around that way, you know, as she looked over her shoulder at me. 
And when it did, I seen a skirt under that gown that she wore at the house, and I knew for sure then that was her on account of that skirt. Because you couldn't mess me up on that skirt. It was a big checkered skirt, like wool checks. When I seen that, I don't remember having any wings. I was down in Alabama, and I stayed with the poorest people that was in that community. I didn't make no difference in them. A little girl, her daddy had TB, and I stayed and spent a night with them, knowing that we could catch it. And this little house I spent the night in had one little south window in it. And that little south window, it wasn't much bigger than that uh, picture right up where that hand is, about the size of that. And I woke up that morning in this little bedroom, and I looked out that little window, and there were six angels passing by that window outside. And there's far enough back out in the yard out there that I could see all six of them. And they was all lined up, coming right down by the side of that window. And they was walking over a, a little flower bed, a little rock wall, went up about eight or 10 inches high of flowers along there. And they come right across that rock wall, all six of them, side by side, and seemed like they was holding hands as close together anyhow. And they come walking down through there and I seen that six angels and some of them was slender, you know. Looked like about 120 pounds maybe. Some of them was fat and round and like. There's all different sizes of them. There's six of them and there's different sizes, different tall and all of that, but their faces was all identical, the same face. The big ones and the little ones had the same face identically. And I'm telling you exactly what I seen there, and that's the way it was. And they had on printed dresses, printed in light and dark purple flowers. Like. They went over this rock wall of going that way and coming around kind of toward, partly towards the front of the small house. And when I seen them, something said, uh, if there's any purple in this room, it won't be long. That's what come to me. If there's any purple in this room, it won't be long. And I don't know what that was long would meant, and I'm just telling you what that I heard, and these angels didn't have no wings. They was heavenly. You could tell by looking at them and feeling that they was really angels and God. And then when I was about something like 18 or 20 years old, I began to grow up. I began to fall in love with my wife. I began to learn about sex and male and female. And uh, me and my wife fell in love and we got married early. And after we got married and moved here to trying, I started this garden. And I thought that you could see a way down there along the end of the fence and it looked like about a block or so long. And that's what I seen. I seen this angel uh, way down there a couple hundred feet going across the end of the garden. I seen her going across there and she acted like she was just going right on west. And I thought to myself, that's an angel. And I wouldn't know how to entertain an angel <laughs> if even she come to me. And I think to myself, she's going somewhere else. She's not coming here. 
But all at once, she just come right up on me where I was at. And, and where it was, it was right down there behind this old house on the other end. But there's a little building, a little house there, sitting there in the corner. Right on the north end, the south end. Little house sitting there. That's where that angel come there, and there was a tree there that growed up a piece and sloped like that. And that angel come there and sat upon that trunk of that tree and leant back on it where that crook was in that tree. And she had the most sexy and beautiful legs and body that I'd ever seen in my life. And uh, the only thing I could figure out is she was warning me about the lust of flesh and sex unlegal. And that's what I felt like. She come to tell me, Howard, don't mess up with unlegal sex. I got to studying about that. What is unlegal sex? I got to drawing that from a picture. And I drew this woman, and that's what's on her body. And there is uh, about sex. Legal sex is if the man burns, let him marry. It's better to marry than to burn. Human beings, animals, and everything, they have a sex feeling. That's what uh, causes the reproduction of everything It lives, is that uh, sex. And to have legal sex, if you if you better for you to marry than burn, Paul says, that is, at a certain age when you begin to grow up, you just have that sex and you have that desire to be with a mate. And that's called, uh, that's sex. And to do that legally, it's better to marry than to burn. That means find you a woman and marry her. And then you can have legal sex. That's the only legal sex I know of where two people are, are living together and uh, are a man and wife. And we enjoyed that for years. We raised uh, five kids and we enjoyed all of that. And when that's all over, you get into a different life, like retirement. And then uh, you begin to have a different love for one another, more like a relationship. And you would, you know that. And so, uh, now your question was, does angels have wings? That's what I'm trying to get. <laughs> this woman in the garden didn't have no wings. And how did I know what she was trying to tell me? Because she was so beautiful and sexy, like a regular sexy woman would be. And if she was so near to me there and everything, and only me and her there. And her warning was to me as to not have unlegal sex and to stay out of that kind of business. And so that's what I've done all my life. My wife is the only woman I have ever knew in this world, in that land. In the Confederate cemetery, a sentry stood on high. Expressionless despite a fuselage of fireflies On the graves of our grandfathers Where the grass is long and cool It was there we laid our blanket down 
Just like a flag of truce My oldest daughter's 50-some years old. And now then, here I said at 81, and all of my big family, I've never lost one out of all of them. I never lost the first person out of my family yet. I just hope that God, when he sees fit to take me, that he'll just take me with a stroke or something, and I won't never know nothing about that no more. It'll be gone, like my mother was. Now, a lot of people commit suicide to get out of them kind of, but I can't afford to do that because, uh, you know, that's not right. I had a cousin a few years not long back, and he went to see his wife in the nursery home. He didn't like it. And the nurses told him, you will be next. You'll be in here next. And he didn't like that. And he had a son about the size of you, I guess he might say. And I imagine, I just take him up on myself and study him. How come him to kill himself? He got down on his knees by the side of the bed, the way I understand it, and put this gun out in the bed and pointed it back to his brain there, took something, pushed the trigger, and blowed his brains out. And then I got to studying what was on his mind. And it come to me, Howard, he didn't like that home. He didn't want to go to that home. And if he had went to that home, uh, his son would have lost their place because that's what they done then when you went to that home and took your place. And I imagine this more than he could bear. And so we took his life and uh, didn't go to that home and his son didn't lose the place. And then you study about things like that. See, I've had all kinds of stuff like that all my life. Studying it. And y'all are getting it all free. <laughs> I saw the monument out there about Keith Haring. Yeah. When you went to New York City, did you meet the artist Keith Haring? No, I didn't meet him when I was in New York City. He come down here to see me, and I had just repaired that bottle, big 13-foot bottle, and I was putting it together right outside of that building right out there. And he come out there and joined us and helped us put that bottle together. Huh. And he was impressed with my garden. And he told me, he looked like perfect picture of health at that time. Uh -huh. I didn't even know he had age. And he told me, he said, Howard says, I'm gonna come down here and do some murals on these buildings for you, do some painting in your garden. I said, I appreciate that. I said, I, I will pay you to come down here and put something in my garden. He said, I wouldn't charge you anything. We said, I'd just like to come and do it. And so, you know, with age, you just have to take pneumonia and die in, in two days and be gone. Well, that's what happened to him. He took pneumonia and passed away. And the Ray brothers made close connection between me and him because they really loved him. Mm -hmm. And they loved me, and they the ones that brought us together. So the Ray brothers come here, and they built that monument down there and memory of me and him meeting here in the garden. Huh. And it seemed to me like the way he felt that if he had had a chance to go over life, he would have built him a garden. It's huh. just the way I felt like he'd like to build him a garden. Huh. 
so I didn't get to see Chief Herring anymore. But them Ray brothers brought me this first religious painting that he done after he met me. You know, that makes you feel pretty good, you know. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, the people said definitely, I influenced Chief Herring for my religious work, you know. And I write messages like I showed you all. Right. <coughs> While ago, if it hadn't have been on that square thing, that girl wouldn't have never handed that to me. Uh-huh. Because the Bible is back over here somewhere. It's on the table there. Yeah. What, what kind of painting did Keith make as far as religious? What did it have on oh, it? Oh, I don't know. I just remember seeing it, and it was a beautiful thing. It looked like it looked like a, a, a framework of a, of a big mansion uh, out of this world, what it looked like. If you ever see them Ray brothers, they'll show it to you. Maybe someday they'll give me a card of it. I hope they do. Well, I can show it to people. He, he was quite a artist. He wrote on the Berlin Wall. Oh, yeah? You know, when, when there was in, back during the war. How long does it take to drive back to Atlanta? <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you do well, it'll take you two hours. Okay. If you don't do too well, it'll take you two hours and 15, 20 minutes. And in another sense of the word, if you go, when the traffic's not the you can get there 15 minutes sooner. Mm-hmm. Well, we get that's there. a good two-hour drive to Atlanta, but I'd stay where you here till quitting time talking. Okay. But you've got <laughs> plenty of road on out there. Okay, we'll look ahead. I'll look I've ahead. I've seen so many people just absolutely destroyed by trying to pass something that they couldn't get around. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for the warning. Yes, sir. Thank <laughs> you. Now, y'all come back and see us every chance you get. I will. Yeah, spend the whole day with them. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. What? Yeah. What'd you say? Uh, Y'all got any dogs? I do. I have a little dog at home. What is it, a poodle dog? Half poodle and half uh, Pekingese. Yeah, well, we've got a poodle dog, and he's getting old now, and and it's just like a funeral to think about him dying. Yeah. And uh, so you all take care of your puppy dog, and I believe it's a heaven for him, too. (laughs) <laughs> I do too. Goodbye. Bye bye. Our dog, he's getting pretty old. Yeah, we just love him. He just, he's just a house dog. He goes that. He can smell people outside of that house. Oh yeah. He can tell if they're stranger. He starts barking. That's one of the family. He don't start barking. Mister Fenster says he's out in the. story again about the Japanese I didn't catch yeah. all of it yeah well you remember this you might want to write a page on it well I'm I'm gonna record it is that all right yeah okay got you record it yeah one day I was being interviewed by a party from Japan and I'd been they'd been here and interviewed three times in Japan and they liked my work and I taught them how to rub in folk art and they were down at my house one evening taking pictures. And I told them when they was down there, they'd 
belonged to me to come to Japan. But that's uh, 3,000 miles a little far for me to fly. And I told him, I said, I've got one thing to tell you all before you go back to Japan. And when you get back to Japan, I want you to do what I'm going to ask you to do. All right, Howard, all right. I said, when you all get back to Japan, I'd like for instance to study the empires all over the world. The empires. I'd like for you to study all of them and find out for sure what happened to the ones that was not Christians. I said, that's what I want you to do. They said, all right. And about a week from that, or maybe a little longer, I heard a little story either on the radio or on the TV, and that story said this. It said uh, Japan one time killed all of the Christians there was in Japan. It says now they are studying history and coming back to Christianity. And when I heard that uh, broadcast, I thanks to myself, God, you're telling me that they went back and they're doing what, what I asked them to do. And that's the way I felt. When I heard that, I thanks to myself, they're listening to me. They're studying history and studying the empires and finding out what happened to the ones that wasn't Christians. And that's true. And that come to me. And I had a feeling to tell them that and ask them to do that. And I believe they did. And uh, that could get more people saved than if I'd have went over a missionary for a year or two years. And that's the way God works. If you'll just turn yourself over to God and let him have you, he will use you. He can use you in ways you would never dream of, never realize. He can use you. What's the latest vision you've had? Last vision that I had. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Honey, is my electric motor in here? I know you. I hate for you to go so much trouble. I wish you. He's interviewing me here, and I'd like to take, I'd like to show you my last vision. Okay. This vision that I had, and y'all can get to hear it too. The last vision that I had was just about a month or six weeks ago. And it's a very simple thing. It's you could teach the whole world how to believe in God. You, you, you say, you're sitting here right now. You don't go to school, and you're not a, you're not a college graduate. You're not a preacher. And you may not even be a Sunday school teacher. But when you see this vision that I had, I can have you teaching tomorrow to show people how to believe in God. Tomorrow. Or even tonight, I can show you how you can start teaching how to have faith in God. And this doesn't come from no books of no kind, no stories, no people. It absolutely just come right down to me. And I draw this little painting of it. It's on a little board. And she's keeping it. And when you get home, I want you to draw one like it. Because you can. Okay. And I want you to use it just like I use mine. And this is it right here. This here, so all of you are looking at it. This is a generator right here. That generator makes electricity. And that electricity can be made from a little generator from the size of your thumb 
on up to a hundred foot across like in Warsh And this series of making electricity and you're watching it and it's a gathering electricity out of the thin areas. You don't see where it's coming from at an unlimited amount. It can gather at five years, 10 years, 40 years. And it's a gathering that and you can't see that electricity. It's invisible like God. There's only a few things that's invisible, and that's one of them is electricity. And you're watching that generator make that, and you can't see it, but you believe in it. You believe it's in there. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. That's exactly the way you believe in God, just like you believe in that electricity you can't see in that generator. And I'm coming over like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And this electricity, the way I see it, is an image of our God. It's invisible. And it goes here from this generator, and this is a battery. So you all know what a battery is. That's where it stores it, right there. Your car that you drove today is making this electricity and storing it in that battery right there. You can't see it in that battery. You have to have an indicator to tell how much is in that battery because it's invisible in that battery. And therefore, you can't see it, but you believe it's in that battery. That's the same way you believe in God you can't see just like you believe in electricity it's in that battery. See? Mm -hmm. That's the lesson. Mm -hmm. All right, thirdly, we go to this motor here, vacuum cleaner motor or any kind of motor. It's using that power up out of this battery. And you can't see it getting it out of this battery. You can't see it or using it up. But you believe that it is. And you believe it's in there. And it's invisible. You can't see it, but you believe in it. That's the way you believe in God that you can't see, just like you believe in electricity you can't see. And this here help kids to realize why they should believe in God and how simple it is. That's one of the simplest messages in my 40 years of pastoring churches. That's one of the most simple messages to teach faith of any, anything I've ever got a hold of in my, my life. Now, you walk out the door and fourthly, there are two power lines right up over your head as you walk out your front door. And one of them here has 250 volts on it. And you look up at that power line and you, and, and, and there's electricity in that power line, enough to kill you. And, and you say, it's up there. You believe in it, but you can't see it. And that's the same way you believe in God you can't see, just like you believe it's in that line up there. And if you say you don't believe it's in that line, I can put a ladder up and let you go up and take a hold of it. And then you see that you do believe it. And this year, all you have to do is get you a white piece of paper or a cardboard, better, a little cardboard, and draw this generator and put generator on there and draw the battery and put battery on there. Draw the motor and put motor on there. And if you want to, you can also attach the two power wires. This is a... This is a a DC current, and this is a, a BC current. It, but it's all invisible, like unto God. And I got a little poster here that tells you about the, your own soul. You can read about it, see. It tells you about your own soul on, on this poster. The next time for Dale I met, I was working Chattanooga at Calvalier Corporation making sit, Lane Cedar Chests. And this young man worked with the side of my workbench. He looked over at me one day and said, Howard, I don't believe a damn thing unless I see it with my own eyes. I said, oh, yes, you do believe something you don't see with your own eyes. 
I said, you believe you're going to get your check this weekend. If you, if you thought you wasn't going to get it, you'd quit now. And God give me that answer. Mm-hmm. And well, we went out on the platform, and I'd go up with a bunch and play the banjo and sing out 30 minutes for lunch. And he'd go in the boxcar with his bunch and gamble. So we come out on the platform one day to walk back in the mill together. And it's a little bit cloudy, and he looked up and said, well, I believe it's going to rain. I said, no. You don't believe it, you know what, unless you see it. It's not <laughs> raining, mister. And God showed me how to teach the infidel not to be infidel. And it might strengthen a lot of us that wonder, you know, if he is a God. You know, most anybody, if they ain't careful, they'll ever wonder, is he really a God? Well, sure they are. You're part of him. Or his creation. He lives in you. That's the only thing why you're living in God's in you. This here is just a sample poster that we sell these to people. There's a poster. And what this is right here is facts of, of uh, the seven invisible members. And this tells you what that soul is. And uh, it starts right in here and tells you every seven members of what your soul is. Your soul's invisible. Alright? I'm going to start with them now. Your eyes. For instance, think about your eyes. You go have them x-rayed. And they can't see that seeing in your eyes. It's invisible. The seeing that's in your eyes is invisible just like, just exactly like that electricity is. And they can't get a picture of that seeing, but they can get the picture of the rest of your eyes. All right, you stick your tongue out for the x-ray, and they x-ray your tongue, they can get every cell in that tongue, pictures of it except the taste. They can't get that taste because it's an invisible. It's invisible. And that's another one of your members. And then they x-ray your body anywhere on it, and they can't get the feeling. They can't get your picture of your feeling on that x-ray machine. And that, that shows you that you're seven invisible members of you that is invisible just like electricity, just like God. And for an instant, you have your nose x-rayed and you get a picture of the whole system of your nose except the smelling. You can't get the picture of the smelling. The feeling, the smelling, your sight, your hearing and your ears, and all of that is invisible. You can't see them. That's your soul. That's a part of you that's already here. And when it separates from this flesh part, the flesh goes to the grave and the soul goes back to God from which it comes. So you see, you're part of God. You're made from Him. You're invisible. And uh, just the minute you become absent here in this world, you become present there. You ready to go? Yeah. Well, thank you, Howard. Yeah. Hopefully in the future I'll dig around a little more to see if there's any more good words that the now late Mr. Finster has left us. In the meantime, you might enjoy In the Corner Back by the Woodpile episode 262 where we talk about the aforementioned band Adam Agend with the aforementioned Todd Zeller. 
Also, there is 238, where Christian poet, musician, and artist Steve Scott talks about his own experiences and theories on creating things that hopefully helps others trying to get through this life. And one last thing, all the music you heard today was either songs inspired by Howard Finster or was from albums he did the artwork for, which includes The Newsboys, R.E.M., Talking Heads, Pierce Pettis, and Tombstone Trailer Park. In the Corner Back by the Woodpile is produced by A Closet, A Pocket, and a Suitcase. You can find this podcast on iTunes, podbean.com, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you would like to send us some love letters, you can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. We'll see you next week. Whoa. Bye-bye.